President Shirley M. Tillman, the 19th president of Princeton University, will preside at this, the 262nd commencement. President Tillman. Please join me in a spirit of prayer. Ground of our being, we are ever thankful for blessings without number, but on a fine morning such as this, we are grateful most for the young women and men who stand before us. They are ours for a moment and yours forever, the pride of their families and the hope of this institution for all that they will contribute to their disciplines and to this world that so badly needs their intelligence, integrity, and vision. May they always be animated by a wisdom not their own, empowered by a spirit they do not possess, awed by mysteries that defy all comprehension, and claimed by wonder for all that is not known. Amen. Please be seated. It is my pleasure this morning, on behalf of Princeton University, to welcome all of you to campus. I would like to extend warm greetings to families and friends who have gathered here to celebrate with the graduating seniors of the class of 2009 and with the recipients of advanced degrees from Princeton's graduate school. May I ask at this time that the parents, grandparents, other family members and friends of today's graduating students rise and remain standing. And now I would like to invite the graduates to join me in thanking your family and friends for the many contributions they have made. Thank you. I would also like to thank the hundreds of faculty, students, staff and alumni who have contributed to the success of the last six days in which we have celebrated with our alumni and students at Princeton. I would especially like to recognize the buildings and facilities staff who set up 180,000 square feet of tenting, media services personnel who installed eight miles of wiring, and the staff and dining services who served 36,000 cookies and 4,000 pounds of chicken. They have been here at the break of dawn and late into the night for the last week to affect multiple transformations of the campus from reunions to the baccalaureate service, from class day to the hooding ceremony, and now to this moment in front of Nassau Hall. They make events like this possible. 
Latin salutatory will be delivered by Stephen J. Hammer, a senior from Carleton, Texas. Mei condescipuli carique amici. Vos omnes saluto. Prices Tillman, pro abontissimo ministerio, te saluto. Curatores, qui hanc universitatem eusque celsos mores prudenter custoditis, vos saluto. Magistri, quorum labore sumus docti, vos saluto. Denique parentes, vos saluto. Namsine amore patientiaque, vestra hodie adesse non passemus. Nos, discipuli Prinkitoniae, vobus omnibus gratias agimus. Sub arcu macosciensis aulae, titulus proclamat, hic awiris atque turibus gothicis, democratiam et fidem, et justitiam, et amorem invisibilium immortalium rerum docebamur. Hic quidem democratiam, ire sub umbra perpetui agminis virorum animas pro patria panentium didicimus. Hic fidem, acipere eam gratiam quae malum vincat didicimus. Hic justitiam, carissimum primium quad nemum mereri potest didicimus. Hic veritatem didicimus. Quod si nos hanc veritatem ab nostrum meritum didicisi putamus, falemur. Apostolus Paulus scripts it, Ubi sapiens, ubi scriba, ubi conquisitor huius saeculi, nonne stultam fecit deus sapientiam huius mundi. Hic homines precatonienses, sapientiam quidem didicimus, non nostris meritis, Nimis frequenter cantatis, nimisque clamose laudatis, nec examinibus thesibusque, sed fide et gratia, invisibilis gloriae. Huius Monday gloria cursum evanescit, sed illa gloria aeterna est. Nulla doctrina, princetoniae accepta tanti haberi debet. Instituto itinere, cursum consumate, justitiam diligite, Vitia fugite, soveritatemque rei publicae, et misericordiam omnibus praestate. Vos omnes saeculorum, cum priscorum tum presentium, qui huc nos adveniri uerunt, avite aque valite. I would like to introduce University Provost Christopher Eisgruber, the Lawrence S. Rockefeller Professor of Public Affairs and the University Center for Human Values, who will introduce this year's winners of the Secondary School Teaching Awards. Each year at commencement, Princeton honors four outstanding teachers selected from the secondary schools of New Jersey. In so doing, we gratefully acknowledge the exceptional contributions of our colleagues who teach in the high schools and middle schools. 
I would like at this time to recognize each teacher individually. Please hold applause until all of the award winners have been recognized. James Danch. James? <laughs> it, it was James Danch's experience early in his career with students with special needs and socioeconomic disadvantages that taught him the joy of teaching science and proved to him the positive role that science education could play in the lives of all students. His students at Colonia High School discovered the joy of not just learning science, but doing science. They dived beneath surface appearances to find truth, sometimes literally diving beneath the surface of the Susquehanna River to study giant salamanders. He teaches them to solve problems, to unlock the mysteries of nature, and in so doing, to unlock the mystery of their young selves. Catherine O'Neill. Catherine O'Neill is gentle, kind, smiling, <laughs> affectionate, and relentless. <laughs> Through persistence and sheer stubbornness, she nudges students, whether gifted learners or underachievers, out of their comfort zones. At the end of the school year, she declares victory if her students leave class hungry, hungry to learn. Her influence on her students at Eastbrook Middle School goes beyond her language arts classes. Her author study initiative knits the ties between generations, pairing students with parents and other adults, revealing through another's voice often unspoken truths of what generations can tell one another if only given the chance. Martin Shields. At Pascack Hills High School, he introduces his class to the subject of biology by asking, what makes something come alive? Asked the same question about the subject of biology, his students would respond, Martin Shields. He relates classroom theory to real life issues and to his students' real life experiences. He makes them think like biologists, out of the box and out of the classroom. He is the first to note that his teaching methods demand from his students significant intellectual sweat equity. They respond positively, grading his teaching prowess as beyond outstanding and beyond exceptional. Rebecca Strum. For Rebecca Strum, teaching is a fearless and joyful process where mistakes are celebrated, changes make us think freshly, and the unexpected can be a victory. She combines the energy and passion of the beginning teacher with the wisdom and insight of the veteran. She is a self-described artist teacher who revels in having made the stage her classroom and the classroom her stage. Because she creates a safe, supportive environment in her theater classes at Bergen County Academies, her students not only learn how to act out fictional lives in an imaginary world, they graduate better prepared to play active and truthful roles in their own lives. Please join me now in recognizing these teachers' extraordinary contributions to our society's future.
Let me now introduce the Dean of the College and Professor in the Department of History, Nancy Malkiel, who will present the candidates for undergraduate degrees. At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for Princeton University's bachelor's degree. Let me remind you at the outset that your diplomas and program certificates can be picked up at your residential colleges at the conclusion of these exercises. Um, and if you don't know where those um, diploma ceremonies and receptions uh, are located, uh, look at the last page of the commencement uh, program. We begin with the candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts. Before presenting you to President Tillman and to the trustees for the awarding of your degrees, I will introduce you informally department by department. Please stand in place as your department is named, and I will ask your families, classmates, and friends to withhold their applause until all undergraduates in each group have been introduced. First, I should like to invite the members of the following departments to stand. Art and Archaeology, the School of Architecture, English, and Music. Please be seated. And now the members of these departments. Classics, Comparative Literature, French and Italian, German, Slavic languages and literatures, Spanish and Portuguese languages and cultures, East Asian studies, Near Eastern studies, and the Independent Concentration Program. Please be seated. We turn next to the departments of history, philosophy, and religion. Please be seated. Will the members of these departments please rise? Politics, and the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Please be seated. Now, those graduating seniors in anthropology, sociology, and economics. Please be seated. Will seniors in these departments please stand? Ecology and evolutionary biology and molecular biology. 
Please be seated. Finally, I wish to introduce the seniors receiving Bachelor of Arts degrees in Astrophysical Sciences, Chemistry, Computer Science, Geosciences, Mathematics, Physics, and Psychology. Please be seated. At this time, all candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts are invited to stand together. <laughs> President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Bachelor of Arts. Octoritate mihi acuratoribus universitatis princetoniensis comisa. Vos ad gradum primum in artibus et cum oribus ut indicatum est admito. At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Once again, I will invite you to stand in place as your department is named, and I will ask your families, classmates, and friends to hold their applause until your degrees have been conferred. Uh, would Bachelor of Science in Engineering candidates in the following departments please rise. Chemical Engineering, Civil and Environmental Engineering, Computer Science, Electrical Engineering, Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering, and Operations Research and Financial Engineering. <laughs> President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Octoritati mihi curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis iscomisa, vos agradum primum in scientiis ingeniaris et cumanoribus ut indicatum est admito.
Let me finally invite the entire class of 2009, 1121 strong, to rise as a body. Artists, writers, scholars, athletes, campus leaders, community volunteers, recipients of honors, certificates, and prizes, members of honor societies, winners of fellowships—you have put your imprint on this university, and you leave with our warmest congratulations. Please be seated. The faculty elects the valedictorian each year, taking into account special qualifications as well as scholastic ranking. This year's valedictorian is Holger J. Stauda, a senior from Frankfurt, Germany. Thank you, President Tillman, for giving me the opportunity to speak to my classmates today. Transitions can be unpredictable. It can be difficult to leave behind the places and the people we know, and daunting to think about what's coming next. So I can't help asking myself if today, commencement, is a happy day. Leaving Fitzrandolph Gate is fundamentally an expedition into uncharted territory, and no, this one won't be like outdoor action. Although graduation may feel to us like the beginning of a trip into the wilderness. Two years ago, a friend and I departed for a six-week hike across the uninhabited tundra of Iceland. We had prepared the hike for several months, developing maps, researching satellite images. And entering waypoints into our handheld GPS units, and yet many questions remained as we boarded the plane headed to Iceland's capital Reykjavik. What if magnetic fields distorted the compass along the way? What if clouds and fog impaired the GPS units? What if geothermal activity had changed the location of rivers and streams? And just like my friend and I prepared for Iceland, we have all. During the past four years, prepared for life beyond Fritz Randolph Gate. Today, we may know how to calculate the duration of a five-year inflation-protected treasury security. We may master the tactics we learned in that Woodrow Wilson seminar on negotiation theory, or the molecular simulation methods we studied for that unpassable chemical engineering final. And yet. With all that knowledge, a horde of challenges will inevitably beset the paths each of us commences now. Indeed, it will be difficult to leave what is so familiar to us today and put all that scholarship to the test tomorrow. 
<laughs> so I have to ask again, is today, should today be a happy day? Perhaps it shouldn't. After all, there are many things that we're going to miss about Princeton. All-nighters with friends at your side, waiting in line behind someone printing out 500 pages at a cluster the moment before your paper is due, <laughs> the lighting and the wondrous culinary, offer culinary offerings of our beloved Wawa, <laughs> and certainly enjoying the fine, limitless, and most importantly, complimentary beverages at your favorite eating club on the Straße. <laughs> but for everything we leave behind, there is much that we take with us as we walk through Fitzrandolph Gate. The first, and perhaps the most important, is our ability and our willingness to ask questions. What we don't ask, we'll never know. Good questions are preceded by good answers. Excuse me. Good answers are preceded by good questions. And sometimes, conceiving the right questions is harder than arriving at the right answers. After four years at Princeton, we all know how to find a five-paragraph textbook answer to almost any question, just as my friend and I both knew how to read the compass for our trek across Iceland. However, in Iceland, knowing how to read the compass wasn't enough to find our way, since the magnetic north, the direction in which the compass points, isn't necessarily equal to the true north, the direction toward the geographic north pole. The angle between the magnetic north and the geographic north varied as our journey through Iceland continued, and as a result, my friend and I found it necessary to recalibrate the compass every day. Just as finding true north requires constant calibration of the compass, finding true happiness may require periodic calibration of our inner compass to guide our interpretation of knowledge and our actions. Being inquisitive and capable of positing the right questions will take us a long way. If nothing else, our four years at Princeton have given us the courage to approach the world as a big question, not only in our professional roles as academics, doctors, lawyers, and, uh, God forbid, investment bankers, but also in our private lives as thoughtful individuals and citizens. Let us not be afraid of asking the same question twice. Consider Albert Einstein's response to a student who pointed out that the questions on a final exam were exactly the same questions as those on last year's exam. That's true, Einstein responded. The questions are the same, but the answers this year are different. The second thing I believe we should all take away from Princeton is a healthy dose of skepticism. Not cynicism or distrust, but a wary eye towards the assumptions underlying our everyday interactions and the status quo. Asking the right questions is only part of the job. We also have to make sure that the answers we receive are adequate. Let me provide an example. Until recently, the status quo in economics was to model people as rational economic agents who maximize their lifetime happiness, subject to a set of resource constraints. And not too long ago, psychologists, including Princeton professor Daniel Kahneman, had the audacity to suggest 
that economic agents may not be rational after all. People may be prone to make mistakes in a manner that is systematic and predictable and yet is not accounted for in standard economic frameworks. This skepticism toward the rational economic agent has created the field of behavioral economics and has earned Kahneman, a psychologist by training, the Nobel Prize in economics. Behavioral research has led to a richer and more realistic understanding of the way in which we make decisions. For example, introducing a person's tendency to follow the herd into a model of security prices may help us understand the occurrence of stock market bubbles. Now, obviously, we haven't figured out how to prevent stock market bubbles, but rest assured that the economists are working on it. Now, I believe that asking the right questions and being somewhat careful about the answers we receive will help us whether we're trying to make a case in the boardroom or at a nightclub. Our graduation today initiates a stream of social, intellectual, and hopefully monetary dividends. And while you may lose your job, your house, and everything you own, your ability to ask the questions and subject the answers to a healthy dose of skepticism is yours to keep for life. My family's experience has, more than anything, impressed upon me that the acquisition of knowledge is a preserving pursuit. In 1980, my mother and father crossed the barrier of concrete and ideas that had been erected between East Germany and West Germany. They did so illegally, escaping from a restrictive life hindered by the ubiquitous infiltrations of the East German police state. They lived a life without freedom of political, intellectual, and artistic expression. And when my parents departed from their hometown in East Germany, they left everything behind. Their family, their career, their home, and their possessions. The one thing that they were able to hold on to was the training they had received at university. They carried that education in their minds as they traveled to the West on a circuitous journey that brought them to Frankfurt by way of the Congo River. It was academics that ultimately enabled them to find work as high school teachers and to find their own true north in Western Germany. So while there are many things we leave behind at Princeton, the things we get to take away should make today a happy day. But you might disagree. Indeed, if you're French, you might say that partir et mourir un peu. To leave is like dying a little. That said, your farewell, your farewell from this university need not be permanent. In fact, one of the great supporters of international students at Princeton, Shelby M.C. Davis, likes to say that life is lived in thirds. Learn, earn, and return. And I agree with Mr. Davis, but I hope, I hope that the thirds of our life are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I believe that learning is a lifelong pursuit, an endeavor that will guide us as we earn in all respects and give back to our broader society and to old Nassau. And while it may take some time for most of us to return to the university financially, we are in a recession, after all, 
I know that all of us will return physically as classmates and as friends. Congratulations to the great class of 2009. Your true north is waiting. At this time, I would like to introduce Dean of the Graduate School and the Arthur W. Marks Class of 1919 Professor of Chemical Engineering, William B. Russell, who will present the candidates for advanced degrees. At this time, we recognize each individual who has qualified for an advanced degree from Princeton University. Let me remind you at the outset that if your diploma was conferred by the trustees in their current meeting, it may be picked up behind Nassau Hall on Cannon Green at the conclusion of these exercises. As many of the candidates for master's degree as are present, please rise in their places. President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degrees of Master of Arts, Master of Fine Arts, Master of Arts in Near Eastern Studies, Master in Finance, Master of Architecture, Master in Public Affairs, Master in Public Policy, Master of Science and Engineering, and Master of Engineering. Octoritate mihi a curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis commissa, was a gradum secundum admito. Please be seated. Will the candidates for the doctor's degree please stand? President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Doctor of Philosophy. Octoritate mihi ar curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis commissa, was a gradum doctoris in philosophia admito. The Doctor of Philosophy is the highest academic degree awarded, marking an original and independent contribution to the world of scholarship. I am especially pleased to congratulate today's recipients of the PhD degree. Congratulations.
Thank you. It is a special pleasure for me to confer the President's Award for Distinguished Teaching, which honor four members of the faculty for a sustained record of excellence in teaching at both the undergraduate and graduate levels. Dean of the Faculty and Philip Y. Goldman, Class of 1986, Professor in Computer Science, David P. Dobkin, will introduce each award winner. I would like to introduce each of the award winners individually. Mitchell Dunier, Professor of Sociology. He is a distinguished ethnographer who has immersed himself in the socio-economic classes and especially in rejected cultures, learning their languages and playing by their rules. He displays the same ability in connecting with his students. He makes them feel welcome, attracting record numbers of concentrators to the Department of Sociology, and forging bonds that extend beyond Fitz Randolph Gate. While the purple suit he wears to class on exam days is a crowd pleaser, his students applaud him mostly for outfitting them with an understanding of the common and distinctive elements of humanity, even in very dif different societies. President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Dunier. Eddie S. Glaude. William S. Todd, Professor of Religion and African American Studies. He is an inspiring teacher a learned and productive scholar, and a public intellectual. Whether teaching about American pragmatism or African-American religious history and its place in American public life, he shows his students how to wrestle with ideas, to grapple with contradiction and conflict, and finally, in good pragmatist fashion, to act. He shares with his students the journey of an idea as it grows. The destination he steers them toward is always an awareness of their responsibility to society, urging them, in the words of Toni Morrison's beloved, to know it, but go on out the yard. President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Glob. Sherrod Malik, George Van Ness Lothrop Professor in Engineering, Professor of Electrical Engineering, Director of the Keller Center for Innovation in Engineering Education. He runs races really, really fast. Maybe this is why he was attracted to the fast-changing field of computer-aided design of electronic systems or why he encourages students to look seven years out to find the res right research question for now. As the director of the Keller Center for Innovation in Engineering Education, 
He is an entrepreneur who entices humanists and other non-engineers to invest time studying engineering. If they take him up on this public offering, their payoff will be a critical understanding of how technology continuously changes what is possible, how this change in what is possible changes the world. President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Malik. Valerie A. Smith, Wood Woodrow Wilson Professor of Literature, Professor of English and African American Studies, Director of the Center for African American Studies. Let me describe her contributions to Princeton as portrayed by her colleagues. In the classroom, and especially as the founding director of the Center for African American Studies, she is a leader of leaders and a diviner of opportunities for excellence. She makes Princeton vibrant inside and outside the classroom. Without her, they say, Princeton would be decidedly gloomier. Let me describe her contributions in terms of statistical evidence from student course evaluations. It's not just that she earns peak scores for all her courses. She has no valleys. Let me describe her in the words of her students. Val is super. <laughs> President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Smith. Please join me in recognizing the contributions of these faculty members to the vitality of Princeton's teaching mission. Members of the faculty and staff who retire from Princeton this year are recognized in the commencement program. The university is grateful for, to each of them for their contributions to the Princeton community and their commitment to the fulfillment of the university's mission. Please join me in applause to express our appreciation. University Orator and Trustee Brent L. Henry, Class of 1969, celebrating his 40th reunion this year, will now present the candidates for honorary degrees. President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws Honoris Causa Ernesto J. Cortez, Jr., Organi organizing in his hands works wonders. Those who were once silenced find their voice. Those in authority are compelled to listen. Parents and teachers join hands for the sake of children. The impoverished 
acquire skills and jobs, and shanty towns become prosperous neighborhoods. His message is that active and informed citizens exercising power responsibly can insist on accountability and achieve change. With his guidance, ordinary people working together are reweaving the social fabric of democracy. President Tillman, Mr. Cortez. Octoritate mihi a curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis comisa, te ad gradum doctoris in legibus honoris causa admito. President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Fine Arts, Honoris Causa, Ruby D. Davis. A pioneer of stage and screen, an author and a producer, she transformed the worlds of 20th century theater and film into humanitarian activist art. With lush, powerful, and rolling eloquence, she moved us from the dream-deferred era of a raisin in the sun to do the right thing. With her husband, the late, great Ossie Davis, she has dedicated more than half a century to providing cultural fuel for the civil rights movement, from Shakespearean tragedy to American gangster tragedy, she has turned each performance into a testimony celebrating the three-dimensional personhood of African-American women. President Tillman, Ms. Davis. Octoritati mihi a curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis comissa, te ad gradum doctoris in artibus elegantibus honoris causa admito. President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Science Honoris Causa, Irvin Glassman. His colleagues affectionately call him the Grand Old Man of Combustion. His half century of research and teaching defined a field that propelled us to the moon and started us on the path to more efficient use of energy. He insisted for himself and his students on a deep understanding of the science behind the chaos of a flame, sending forth scores of new leaders who now populate the field. His gift for looking ahead led him 35 years ago to see beyond the raw power 
of fuels and train his energy on challenges to the environment, sparking a field of critical importance today that may determine our quality of life tomorrow. President Tillman, Professor Glassman. Octoritate mihi a curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis comisa te ad gradum doctoris in scientis honoris causa admito. President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of fine arts, honoris causa, Meryl Streep. She has been called the greatest actor of her generation, and she has the resume to prove it. In an age of celebrity, she represents craftsmanship. In an age dominated by directors, she represents the centrality of the actor. In an age of special effects, she represents the power of the written word and artful movement. In an age of virtual reality, she reminds us of the story's power to shed light on what is real. She sees herself as a translator whose mission is to explain people to each other. Today, we tell her how well she has succeeded. President Tillman, Ms. Street. Octoritate mihi a curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis comisa. Te ad gradum doctoris in artibus elegantibus honoris causa admito. And finally, President Tillman. I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Humanities, Honoris Causa, Alice L. Waters. <laughs> Sustenance for the soul as much as for the body, her glorious food has changed the way America eats and thinks. Her ensemble of organic farmers, winemakers, and restaurant staff bring real food to a society smothered in fast food choices, yet starved for nourishment. At a time when global agribusiness threatens not just to perfect the art of tasteless produce, but to effect a radical reduction in crop diversity, her advocacy for sustainable agriculture and slow food may change the way 
our children eat, and how they understand the world. President Tillman, Ms. Waters. Octoritate mihi a curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis comisa, te ad gradum doctoris in rebus humanas honoris casa admito. It is a great pleasure for me to continue Princeton's long-standing tradition of letting the president have the first word at opening exercises and the last word at commencement. First, my heartiest congratulations go out to each and every one of you, to our newly minted masters and doctoral candidates who have done so much to invigorate the academic discourse on our campus and advance the frontiers of knowledge, and to the members of the class of 2009 who have left an indelible mark of their own on our university community. You have successfully overcome every obstacle we have put in your path. Those 8.30 classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I taught one of them. Those elusive A's. A library that closes its doors at 11.45 p.m. just when you were working up ahead of steam. Those distribution requirements that prevented you from taking all your classes in classics as you had planned to do and those general exams that required you to be a waking encyclopedia. You survived SARS, avian flu, pink eye, thesis-related carpal tunnel syndrome, whooping cough, and swine flu. It's a wonder that any of you got to commencement today with your health and good humor intact. Now, a great deal has happened in the few short years that you have lived and studied on this campus. The world watched in horror in the fall of 2005 as Hurricane Katrina devastated the city of New Orleans, abandoning thousands of people, mostly African Americans, on rooftops and in the convention center. And yet, last November the 4th, the world watched in wonder as that same country elected its first African-American president. In 2005, you created your first Facebook page and began sharing every waking moment and thought with the world. Today, you're down to communicating with just 140 characters on Twitter. And of course, you arrived at Princeton during one of the greatest bull markets in history, and you leave having witnessed the world economy in free fall. Everyone in this audience, I suspect, has been touched in one way or another by the consequences of the market crash. I know that some of you have used the market downturn to reevaluate your career goals. 
Others have had to change plans for the coming year because opportunities have evaporated. Luckily for you, the education you have received at Princeton, an education that we rightfully claim does not prepare you for one job, but for many jobs, puts you in remarkably good stead in an uncertain time. The skills and traits that we strive to instill in you, critical thinking and writing, a finely tuned moral compass, a disciplined work ethic, a commitment to excellence in whatever you choose to do, compassion for those left privileged, and a devotion to service will serve you well, whatever comes next. And as you consider the ways in which the world has changed and imagine your place in it, we hope that your Princeton education will fuel your search for both purpose and meaning. Now, at the risk of being accused of trying to turn the proverbial sow's ear into a silk purse, let me suggest there has never been a more opportune time to be a seeker after purpose and meaning. Everywhere you look, there are enormous problems, many of them created by my generation, I will confess that will take the hard work and dedication of every one of you to fix. The profligate burning of fossil fuels over the last century now threatens the future of the planet. And it will be up to you whether we are able to replace a carbon-based economy with one that is powered by vibrant green technologies. The world is also in dire need of voices advocating for religious and ethnic tolerance and understanding to counteract the ignorance and hatred that drive so much of today's violence, both between states and within them. The growing inequality of opportunity that our broken K-12 education system has imposed on too many children in this country will only be reversed by talented and committed teachers who will ensure that every child in America has a chance to fulfill his or her potential. Our inefficient health care system is on a path to bankrupting the entire country unless we find a way to more equitably share the costs and benefits of medical care. And of course, Somebody has to fix the world economy. These problems are truly daunting, but individuals armed with a Princeton education have never been known to shy away from hard challenges. Year in and year out, Princeton invests its considerable resources, well, maybe a little less considerable than a year ago, in its students in the belief that we are preparing young men and women to become leaders and to change the world for the better. I have every confidence that you, like Judge Sonia Sotomayor of the class of 1976, the nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court and a trustee of this university, like her, you are ready to embrace this task.
In addition to educating leaders and problem solvers about the complexity of the global challenges before us, Princeton has also historically defined its purpose as helping to find solutions to those challenges. Through the research and scholarship that our faculty and graduate students perform, the university contributes to both social change and economic progress. We are justly proud of the many contributions that Princeton faculty have made over the years, from Professors Steve Pakala and Rob Sokolow's wedges concept, which demonstrates that it's possible to su substantially reduce carbon emissions today through the adoption of multiple existing technologies. To Emeritus Professor of Chemistry Ted Taylor's development of Olympta, a drug that is now saving and extending lives of cancer patients. To the Center for African American Studies Toni Morrison Lecture, that each year provides a national forum for a distinguished public figure to address the impact of race in America. To Professor John Eikenberry and Anne-Marie Slaughter's Princeton Project on National Security, that laid out a sustainable and effective national security strategy for the United States. These examples and many, many more that I could name reflect Princeton's commitment to being in the nation's service and the service of all nations. As important as it is for the university to directly address the pressing issues of the day through its teaching and scholarship, it is equally vital that we celebrate and vigorously defend the exploration of ideas for their own sake, without regard to immediate utility. To give you an example, when Professor of Mathematics Andrew Wiles retired to his attic for seven years in pursuit of a solution to Fermat's last theorem, a problem that had withstood 350 years of attempts by number theorists, he was acting in the great tradition of intellectual in inquiry for its own sake. In this deeper session, when there have been numerous calls for universities and colleges to provide job training as opposed to a liberal arts education, and to offer degrees that are, in quotation marks, good for something, it is even more important that we defend the curiosity-driven search for meaning that has been an integral part of the tradition of universities going back to the Middle Ages. Nowhere is this search more palpable than in the creative and the performing arts. That is not to say, of course, that these disciplines do not engage us with the world. No one could have seen the great modern dancer Judith Jameson in Alvin Ailey's ballet Cry without coming away with a deeper understanding of the plight of African-American women. It was impossible to watch Meryl Streep anguish over the choice of which of her children to condemn to the gas chamber in William Styron's Sophie's Choice without staring into the abyss 
of the evil of the Holocaust. Maya Lin's Vietnam Veterans Memorial, with its more than 58,000 names of the dead and missing carved into granite, powerfully captures the tragedy of that war. Just as Johannes Sebastian Bach's Mass in B minor, so ably performed by the Glee Club this spring, can be heard as a profoundly uplifting religious experience. As Neil Rudenstein, Princeton class of 1956, a former Princeton provost and Harvard president, has said, when we are reading Anna Karenina, or Dubliners, when we are watching Othello, or Riders to the Sea, when we are wrestling with Thucydides, or reciting Keats and Yeats, we know that we are about as close to the vital sign of human experience as any representation is likely to take us. If we are fortunate and alert, we may gradually learn how to see more clearly the nature and possible meaning of situations and events, to be better attuned to the nuances, inflections, and character of other human beings, to weigh values with more precision, to judge on the basis of increasingly fine distinctions, and to perhaps become more effective, generous, and wise in our actions. Or as the poet Wallace Stevens said more succinctly, art helps us to live our lives. Art reveals meaning through the process of creation and the process of observation. At Princeton, we are committed to folding into a seamless continuum the making and the study of art. Both are deeply creative human endeavors. Both are essential to the vibrant life of a great university. And when they happen in close proximity to one another, the sum is always greater than the parts. I come to this conclusion from the perspective of a scientist, having seen the tremendous synergy that can happen when an experimentalist and a theorist collaborate on a scientific problem. The same, I believe, can happen when artists and critics occupy a common space, something that colleges and universities are uniquely positioned to provide. Marjorie Garber, the noted art critic, has commented, the paradox of the artist is the paradox of human agency in the making of something that will take on a life of its own. Each generation will view a work of art through its own unique lens, finding new insight or perspective. It is this process of examination and re-examination that is the province of the scholar. But without the artist who set everything in motion, there would be nothing to examine. When we created the Lewis Center for the Arts in 2006, named in honor of its founding patron, Peter B. Lewis of the Princeton class of 1955, it was our ambition that every Princeton student have an opportunity to create a work of art. And through that revelatory experience, to appreciate more fully how art enriches and informs the search for meaning in our lives. If we have succeeded, 
I am now looking at 1,881 future patrons of the arts, and we need every one of you. As a society, we cannot afford to neglect what the literary scholar Helen Vendler called the thirst of human beings for the representations of life offered by the arts, the hunger of human beings for commentary on those arts as they appear on the cultural stage. In difficult times like these, we must be doubly protective of the arts, much as the Roosevelt administration sustained countless artists, musicians, actors, and writers through the Works Progress Administration and the depths of the Great Depression. We must do so not simply for the sake of struggling artists, but for the sake of the future of our society. And so, as you walk, skip, or run through the Fitzrandolph gates today, as educated citizens of this and many other nations, I hope you take from this place a sense of purpose that is drawn from an understanding of the major challenges of our day and a lifelong search for meaning through engagement with the arts. If you do, you will be carrying forward the spirit of Princeton and all that this place has aspired to teach you. And I expect you will continue to do as you have done at Princeton, which is to always aim high and be bold. My warmest wishes go forward without you all. At the conclusion of the benediction and after the singing of Old Nassau, guests are requested to remain in their places until the platform party and the degree candidates have left from campus and returned to Cannon Green. The benediction will be pronounced by Dean Blanks. Receive now these words of blessing as you go forth into the world Princeton University class of 2009. In my beginning is my end. In my end is my beginning, wrote the poet T.S. Eliot. So go forth from this place, daughters and sons of destiny, humanity's hope and the planet's promise, to daringly dream dreams into being, give voice to visions, and answer the beckoning call of your appointment with life. Go forth from this place, remembering that you stand upon the shoulders of giants, those you know and do not know, those named and unnamed, and that you are now the generation of the chosen and called to usher in a new legacy of liberating possibilities and a heritage of hope. Go forth from this place offering the depth and breadth of your intellectual gifts and graces, not for your goodness and greatness alone, but so that the spirit of Tekun Ha Olom, which means repair the world, might be released on your watch. And may God, the sovereign of the universe, an eternal companion on the journey, be with you always, for this is not your end, 
but your beginning. Go forth in peace, in power, to redeem and restore the world that awaits your coming. Godspeed. Amen.
Thank you.